You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. We talked about it during Christmas, the Christmas service last week, that I'm going to start a series over, the, over today and the next couple of weeks in January in regards to studying and understanding how to read the Bible. How to read the Bible, the importance of this book. As we go into 2020, I want to put this at the forefront of your life, put this at the forefront of the year, that you make it a priority to get more in this book. That if we truly believe that this is the book that has all of our answers, this is the book that can save us, this is the book that can teach us, this is the book that can show us, if we believe that this is our guide, this is our map, then we should be studying this map way more than we have been. Not discrediting where you've been reading, what you've been reading, how you've been reading. Just like in the series where we talked about prayer. I'm just wanting to take you where you are right now, give you some tools for your tool belt to bring you, like the scripture says, that God wants to bring us from glory to glory to glory. I want to help bring us up to a brand new place and it comes to our Bible reading. That we can read this book and it not just put us to sleep. That we can read this book and not close it and scratch our head and say, well, I don't know what I read. This king did this and he begot him and she begot him and, and I don't understand the parables. And, and I, Revelation, there's a dragon, there's a woman, there's all kind of heads, there's all kind of crowns. That we can read the book and understand it. That we can study it and we can have interactions with God And he can speak to us through this book so that this will be our driving force as we go in to the new decade. That we can look back and say, wow, this is a defining defining moment in my life when I decided to start truly studying and reading the Word. So the first part of the series today, I've titled it, Do You Know Him? Dot, 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 as the Word of God. Do you know Him? As the Word of God. A couple weeks back, at the beginning of December, I preached out of Philippians 3, where Paul writes and makes the statement to know Him and to know His resurrection, to know His death, to know His crucifixion. And it's something that's been on my heart over the last month is the desire to know Him more. We talked about there's so many ways that if we studied and breathed and believed and looked into the face of God, we would see a different side of Him says in the scriptures that there are angels that are constantly circling around his throne singing holy, holy, worthy is the lamb. And they see something new about him every time they circle. Wow. If they're that close to God and they've been in his presence for eternity and they're still seeing something new, then me in Williston, South Carolina at 30 years old can probably learn something new from him. And so we want to talk over the next couple of weeks, about getting to know Him, but knowing Him as the Word of God. Psalms 11, verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So we want to establish a foundation on reading this book. We want to establish a foundation on knowing who Jesus is. We want to establish that foundation, that chief cornerstone, because if that's destroyed, what's the righteous to do? Psalm says. 
So we want to make it an important theme of this year to be studiers of the Bible, to read the Bible, to do what the Bible says, to let the Bible wash us clean. Sometimes when you get washed clean, there's some extra rubbing, some extra cleaning. There's some things that don't come off as easy, and you got to scrub and scrub. Those who have kids, somehow those kids get dirt and other things all in their body. And how did that get there? Where did that? You got to scrub a little bit more. That the washing of the word, yes, it can be refreshing. It can be good, but sometimes, ah, oh, didn't didn't like that one. Hmm. But when you feel that prick, hmm. That's not the moment to say, no, 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 not, not the time to listen to the Word of God. It's to stand up and say, Holy Spirit, I think you're trying to tell me something here. Because if the foundations are destroyed, what are the righteous to do? Do you know Him? John 17, verse 3, this is Jesus praying over Himself, over His disciples, over the Christians before He goes to the cross. In John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life. Basic, simple, here it is, Jesus is laying it out in his prayer. This is eternal light that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is eternal life that they may know you. The one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. You see, we're in a weird time right now in culture. The world is now teaching and encouraging people to get to know themselves. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says the most important thing to do is to know Him. And the reason we have so many people now, as we tell them, not the church but the world, hey, get to know yourself. Find out who you are. Be whoever you want to be. Go do whatever you want to do. Whatever makes you feel good. And we've seen, it says in the Scriptures, that sin... The wages of sin is death. It just keeps going and going and going, and we see where we're at now. When I was younger and grew up in school, there were two genders. Where are we at now? Because we are encouraging, the world is encouraging people to know themselves. Go know yourself, and as they get to know themselves, well, whatever whim, whatever thing, whatever truth they feel is who they want to be. But that's not what the church is teaching. The church and what I'm preaching and what I'm teaching is to know Him. That's the most important thing. When you know Him first, then you know who you are. Then you know your identity. Then you know who you are. It's knowing Him first. To know Him is eternal life. The world's got it backwards. Get to know yourself first. Whatever makes you happy, you do that. No, no, no. I want to know Him I want to know His words. I want to know what He has for me. Even if at times, ow, that hurts. Or, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your correction. Thank you for your teachings. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. To know Him. You can find out very quickly how well you know Him. By the way you treat people who don't know Him. We can take an introspective check of ourselves. How well do I know God? 
How well do I know the heart of Jesus in how I interact with people who don't know him? Or to go as far as people who do know him. We see the Pharisees over and over again. They thought they knew him. And Jesus constantly reminded him, no, y'all don't know who I am. What is the heart of Jesus looks like when the religious people drag this woman fresh off of adultery and throw her in the middle of the city? Does Jesus pick up the biggest rock? Does Jesus put on the Pharisee garb with him? Shake his finger? Jesus stands right there between the sinner and the religious person. And he says, if you know me, you would be down here loving on the sinner. He brings correction at the end. He says, go and sin no more, but I don't judge you right now. What's the heart of Jesus look like to know him? He's eating with Zacchaeus in a house full of tax collectors and sinners. The group of people is called sinners. They're known throughout the town as sinners. Oh, look, there's that group. What group? A group of sinners. And Jesus was there eating with them. And the Pharisees were on the outside. Well, I just can't believe what he's doing. This is, this is unbelievable. But to know him is to know that we can find out very quickly if we know him when we see a sinner. How do we respond? When you see somebody post something on social media, put up a verse, and you say, well, I know, about, I know what they did on the weekend. I... When we see somebody who needs help, are we being compassionate? Or are we standing in our place of judgment, which we don't deserve to be? To know him. To know him. 1 John 4.6 We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Apostle John is making a very clear distinction here. That there is a spirit of truth and there is a spirit of error. And that we, as Christians who know God and hear God's voice, need to be able to understand and differentiate between somebody with a spirit of truth and a spirit of error. And sometimes that spirit of error looks really truthful. That, well, that word truth there, aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, the spirit of truth, means what is true in any matter under consider consideration. What is true in any matter under consideration? Another definition of it is the truth taught in the Christian religion. The spirit of truth. What is true in any matter under consideration? That as we study, as we go into understanding the word of God, we have to establish in our own lives, is do we believe that this book is completely filled with the spirit of truth? That this book has the truth in any matter under any consideration. That anything else around doesn't matter. It's what this book says. Now let's listen to the spirit of error, these definitions. A spirit of error, a wandering, a straying about, 
See, at first it doesn't even sound that bad. A wandering. Well, I wonder what this says. I wonder what this means. I wonder that we just start off asking questions that we can start going down. Spirit, a wandering, a straying about. That we can hear something from someone. We can take a scripture out of context. We can take a, a book of the Bible. We can do something. And we've seen it before. These pastors, these cult leaders who have said, I am Jesus. I am the second coming. That's not me saying that. I'm saying, I'm pretending to be. That these cult leaders will come and they'll say or they'll manipulate the scriptures. And it's just a small thing. It puts these people on a path. A wandering, a straying about. Let's look at another definition. One led astray from the right way, roams from hither and thither. That we just go from one place to another. Well, I don't like what this church says, so I'm going to go to this one. Oh, didn't like what they said. I'm going to go to this one. Well, let me go back to this one, see what they say. Nope, still saying what I don't like. Let's look at another definition, spirit of error. Error, a wrong opinion relative to morals or religion. That we try and take the word and use it as our opinion, misunderstanding, misconstruing it. Here's the last one. Error, that which leads into error, deceit or fraud. See how the spirit of error it just does these little tiny, tiny tweaks in the very last definition. Error that leads you into error, deceit, and fraud. How the spirit of error that's out there, it's just a little bit. My mom used to always do this as a kid. When I was a kid and there'd be a movie come out, or there'd be a TV show, and probably your parents did the same, I'd say, Mom, I want to go watch this movie. And she'd say, well, what's it about? Is it good? Is it bad? And I'm like, I, I don't know, it's probably got a little bit of cussing, or, you know, I don't know what it's, you know, it's great, Mom, it's PG-13. My mom would say, well, let me go make you some brownies. I'd be like, okay. And she said, but I'm just going to put a little bit of dog poop in it. I'm going to mix it in with the batter. It's not going to be a lot. Just mix it in a little bit, make the brownies, and you can eat those. Do you want to eat those? Well, no, I don't want to eat that. Well, why don't you want to eat it? It's got, it's got dog poop in it, Mom. Well, that's why you're not going to see that movie. Dang it. Dang it, Mom. You got me. And by the end of it, she would always just say, you want me to make you some brownies? I'm like, no, nah, I don't want you to make me no brownies. <laughs> but that's how the spirit of error is, that there's just a little bit in there at the beginning. And it causes you to wander. It causes you to stray. It's why it's such a heavy mantle to be a pastor and a preacher. To make sure that you put these guardrails and I've got pastors above me and I've got people that I can call and people that I can talk to and I can say, I'm thinking about preaching this. I'm thinking about talking about, is this right? Is this wrong? That I don't want to have the spirit of error come into this church or into your heart or into your minds for even a second. That the spirit of truth is always there. But how do we know that the spirit of error is there if we don't know what's in the book? We don't know what it's saying. Then we'll just believe what anybody says. And all of a sudden we believe this person and what they've said for so long that now we're all the way over here. We've been wandering. We've been led astray. We've got our own opinion now. It doesn't even line up with the Scriptures, but I'm right. 
Well, the Bible, where does the Bible say that? No, 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 I'm, I'm right. Your opinion has strayed you. And now all of a sudden it's error that's led you into error, that's led you into deceit, that's led you into fraud. And now you're so far. Do you see the importance of knowing what's in this book? We have to be careful to not teach Christians and non-believers how to be our version of Christians, but instead teach them how to be like Christ. That we, being Christians for so long, don't stand on our high horse and say, well, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't wear this, you can't sing this, you can't do that, you can't... Yes, there are things that we need to teach instruct non-believers when it comes to what the Bible says. Not to what our personal opinion. Well, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to do exactly what I do. Where does that say that in the Bible? Be like Jeremiah Paul Land. Where I haven't, I haven't seen that. So I want to lead people to Christ, not to my idea of what a Christian should be. How, how can we defend this Bible if we ourselves have a difficult time interpreting it or understanding it or explaining it? So hopefully through this series, we can walk through some steps, some tips, some tricks, some things that we can talk about to help you as you read the Bible, to understand it, to grow in your lives, to be able to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error that is so fighting against each other. You just have to turn on the news and see that the spirit of error is all over the place. Just turn on social media and the spirit of error is all over the place. On Facebook, we used to have something called Snopes, or I forget what it is, that's supposed to tell you if something's real or not. Now the news is saying that that's not even real. So what you're posting isn't real, and then the thing that's supposed to tell me is it real or not real is also a fabrication. But how do I know that if the news media is telling me that that's wrong and that's wrong? So now I've got four different levels of people that are telling me error, and I don't know what to believe. I mean, if I, if I don't share the picture of Jesus on the cross, is that really not going to get me to heaven? Snopes, what does it say? <laughs> spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's, I'm fighting against the spirit of error. I want to bring truth into your life, into your family's life, into the community's life. The scripture we're going to start on. All right, all right, Jesus. Let's, uh, let's preach fast. John 1.1, 1, 1, here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John starts his chapter, he starts his book with making a declaration about who Jesus is. All throughout the book, Jesus, John describes Jesus as a friend, as a compassionate person who loves, who's a healer, who's the Savior. And the very first thing that John wants to get across to all of his readers as he's writing this is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's making a very defiant statement at the very beginning of who Jesus is. The most important thing is that Jesus is the Word. In this series, we will discuss the importance of the Word of God, why and how you should study it, and be encouraged to experience and step into a new chapter of your life in the Bible reading. Do you know Jesus as the Word of God? He starts off this statement with, in the beginning. 
which means there had to be a beginning, sometime, somewhere. This is one of the great things, and we'll talk about this over the coming weeks, about how Scripture can interpret Scripture. If you're reading a passage and you're confused about it, chances are you can read another passage and it can help explain what's going on. So we see John writing, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. That has the same verbiage, the same writing, the same understanding. Two different authors at two different times are writing about the same event. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. Verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. At the very beginning of time, God shows us that there is an importance, there is a power, and there is an ability to His Word. God is standing on the threshold of eternity, and He, in His idea of how I'm going to create, is by using my mouth, and He says, let there be light! And nature responded to that Word. Creation happened with the Word of God. God is there. There's no humans. There's no video cameras. There's no news crew. We're live on location on the edge of eternity. God's up to something. He came off His throne. He's standing up. So we're going to watch and see. No, no. He's just standing there, hanging out. And at the very beginning, he puts an importance on saying his words. But if we go back to John, we see why it was so important. Because John had a revelation of in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And look at verse John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The reason God spoke is because Jesus was there. Nothing could be made without Him. We also have this beautiful picture at the very beginning of a very heavy doctrinal statement here. We see the Trinity all right there. In Genesis chapter 1, we don't see the Trinity We see God there, and he talks about the Spirit hovering, but then we can do Scripture, interpret Scripture. We can take John chapter 1 and their Scriptures of in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by Him. He was there at the beginning. Oh, now Jesus is there. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And see how you can take Scriptures, revelation from Jesus at different times throughout history as men and women are writing We can piece together these puzzles and see the beauty of creation. That God makes it an important statement. Let there be light. And light was. That right there should tell us the importance of using and speaking the Word of God. And when we speak the Word of God, when we get the Word of God in our mouth, we get it in our heart, and we start speaking it, creation can happen. Life-altering things can happen. That's the power of the Word. 
in the beginning was the Word. Let's jump down in John chapter 1 to verse 14. And the Word became a book. The Word became pages. No, no, no. Not yet. The Word became flesh. And what did it do? Did it build a mansion and hide out? It dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Me, you. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten Father. What was He full of? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. John 1.14 He was there at the beginning. As time went by, the Word became flesh. And the Word dwelt among us, humans. He became like us. Knows what we like, knows what we don't like. Had emotions, laughed, cried, was angry. Ate food, food that he enjoyed, probably food that he didn't enjoy. Clothes that fit good, clothes that didn't. He worked a job. He was betrayed. He was made fun of. He was beaten. He tasted death. But he was the firstborn of death. So that we would never have to taste death in the way that non-believers taste it. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And what was he full of? Was he full of power? Was he full of majesty? Was he full of crowns? Yes, he could have been full of all those things. But what he was full of was grace and truth. So what does this word bring to us? What does this word bring to my life? How should I bring this word to people? Should I beat them over the head with it? Come here, you gotta, you gotta. No, 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 no. The word is full of grace and truth. In a world where we are asking, in a world where humanity is asking, what is true? I don't know if it's in the dictionary yet, but fake news has to be close to being a new word in the dictionary, that we created something that even my age, I'm 30, 10 years ago, that word didn't even exist. We listened to whoever was on the TV and, and we believed whatever they were saying. We listened to the politicians. We, we listened to all these people. And now all of a sudden there's such a contradiction that's swirling about. We're craving truth. Somebody tell me what's real. Somebody tell me what's the truth. Somebody tell me I have to know. People are getting to know themselves. And probably deep down they know that that's not the truth. They're craving the truth. Full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. 1 John 1, chapter 1-4. through 4. This is John speaking again, writing a different book. That which was from the beginning, 
Now we have to understand, he's talking about beginning again, but he's not talking about creation. You'll see why. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Okay, John, we we realize now you're making a distinction between the beginning, is this is not creation. John was not at creation. He wasn't holding on to Jesus. He wasn't holding. He's talking about when Jesus was there during their time on earth. This is what he's talking about. The people that he's writing to here, he's trying to bring some truth to them. That they didn't believe that Jesus was there in the flesh. So he's saying, I put my hands on him. I saw him die on the cross. You're telling me that Jesus isn't real, that he wasn't here in the flesh? I touched him. I'm the one that leaned up against his breast. I ate with him. I did miracles with him. I touched him. I saw him. I saw him rise from the dead. I put my hands in the holes and the scars in him. I saw him ascend on high because there was a spirit of error that had happened in the church by this time. Just in the short amount of Jesus being there and gone, there was already a spirit of error. And he's bringing truth there. He's saying, I touched Jesus. He was real. He was in the flesh. Verse 2, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Once again, look at the writings. Look at what God is trying to say through the writers. So that your conviction can be full. So that you can be full of sin and we can point it out. Know that your joy can be full to get to know who Jesus is. Because I touched him. I've talked with him. I've experienced him. I've prayed. I've experienced miracles. That your joy may be full. This is why I'm writing to you. The very beginning, he's starting off his passage in 1 John. He's saying whoever reads this is to bring joy into your life. The power of the word. We're almost done. Two more scriptures, and I'll shut it down. In John chapter 1, we talked about 1 through 4. We talked about verse 14, him coming as the flesh. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, grace for grace, grace for grace, Where sin abounded, grace, so much more abounded. Grace for grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Look at this theme that is over and over and over again. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? He's the Word of God. So therefore this book, every time I read it, should receive waves of grace, waves of truth, grace upon grace upon grace. It's the power of the Word. It's why we tell you to read it so much. Because it can change your life. It can bring the grace that you're so craving in your life. It can bring truth to your life. Grace and truth. If we now understand that the Word of God is Jesus, we've established that in John chapter 1. And that the Word became flesh in John chapter 14. And verse 17 is also full of grace and truth. Then we need to make reading the Word of God our top priority in our lives. We have to understand that the Bible is the ultimate truth. 
And as far as I'm concerned, everything else is false. Everything else is false. Because I'm going to stand and believe on this truth. Yes, we have doctors and doctors can help us and God can use doctors. But whatever that diagnosis is, I'm bringing to this book. And this book says, by his stripes I am healed. He's the ultimate physician. He's the one. God's the one who called himself the healer. Relationship issues, salvation issues, depression issues, whatever the issues are, whatever's going on in your life, I'm going to take those things and I'm going to bring it to this book. It says, what does this book say? It's full of grace and truth. Now let's look at the end of the Bible in Revelations 19. This is who Jesus is right now. And let this minister to you today. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Now I saw, this is John writing again. Look at the revelation that the Apostle John has had over time. John chapter 1, he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter, 1 John, he talks about how much He's seen and he felt and he experienced who Jesus was. And now he has this amazing revelation in Revelation. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful. And what is that word again? He is faithful and true. From beginning to end, he has always been known as the truth. The word of God has always been known. And there he is. He's faithful. When everything else is falling by the wayside, I can cling to Jesus because He's faithful. Faithful and true. And in righteousness, He judges and makes war. Verse 12, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on His head were many crowns. He's the ruler. He's the king. He's the one that's in charge. It doesn't matter where He goes. He'll just put on another crown because He's won time and time and time again. And if I partner myself with Him, if He's winning, then I'm winning. Let's keep reading. He had a name written that no one knew except Himself. If you think you've ever figured out who God is, I've got Jesus figured out. I've been to church my whole life. I've read the Bible. I've done this. I've done that. There's a name that nobody even knows except for Jesus. So I'm going to keep pursuing him until he tells me that name. Verses 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Still dipped in blood. And he shed his blood for you. He went into heaven and it says he sprinkled his blood over all. So that way God knew that it was taken care of. God poured all his wrath out into his son. So no longer is he mad at you because he took it out on his son. And he's walking around with a robe that is dipped in blood. So that way when God sees him, he remembers. And he says he'll remember your sins no more. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called, still to this day, it's called what? The Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Look at verse 15. Now out of his mouth, out of the Word of God, what comes out of his mouth? A sharp sword, that with it he will strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Look at verse 16. 
and he has on his robe and his thigh. If you don't like tattoos, then you're not going to like Jesus because on his robe and on his thigh is the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who my Jesus is. That's who your Jesus is. That's what this book is. The power of this book. The power of the word. My question to you as we finish, and I'm closing, is do you trust the word of God? Do you trust what this book says? For all being honest, there's been a point in time where we've read something and we said, I don't know about that. I'm confused about that. That doesn't make sense. Or you've read something and it's pricked your heart and you said, well, let's turn the page. That, that wasn't for me. That, that, was for, that was for somebody in my family. I'm going to go ahead and tweet that. I'll just tweet that verse and, and tag somebody in it so that they can receive that blessing. That you need to know as we start this series, as we go into 2020, that this word of God is full of grace and it's full of truth. This is the truth. And if you're questioning anything in your life, that you can go to this and be resolved and know that your answer is in this book. The Word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Do you know Him? Do you know Him as the Word of God? And my question today that you're going to have to answer is do you trust this book with what it says? You can't trust it if you don't know what's in it. We've got to read it. Sometimes when we read it, it gets confusing. So I want to help you and bring some, some, some ideas and some things and some books and some different things to you to get some things in your hand to help you as you go through and as you read it. So over the next couple of weeks, next week and the week after that, we're going to do how to study the Word, part one and part two. And then the last week, we're going to talk about the power of the Word. We're going to talk about the different things throughout the Scriptures that show us the power of the Word. We saw it all the way in Genesis chapter 1. That by speaking the Word of God, creation can happen. That your life can change by speaking the Word of God. We can't go out there and create anything until we start speaking the Word of God. And we have these here. I printed these out. I didn't. My wife did, and I believe Miss Karen did folded these. I found this online. This is a five-day Bible reading program. <clears throat> I know everybody's got apps, and everybody's got different things that they can read and say and do. And uh, This is something that I found over the last couple weeks of just studying and looking, um, and it looks pretty good. Uh, you can read it. We have handouts in the back, um, and their main thing is you can read through the whole Bible in five days. Everybody else has a seven-day plan and all that, uh, but we get tired. It's okay. Um, it's, it's okay if you miss a day. There's no judgment. Grace and truth, it's in there. Um, but it's got uh, a week by week, but it's also chronologically in order. It tells you how to read the Bible kind of uh, in the way of history. So the way that the Psalms were written when David was going through things in life, they match up with each other. They don't make you read all of the Gospels at once. They kind of space them out. Um, and so I just thought there was some interesting, unique ways on how to read the Bible. Um, and so we have these. They have uh, week one starting on January 5th all the way to week 52. I'll, we'll put the website up, uh, the link that you can actually go and download this uh, on our church website. So if you want to point somebody there or get it for somebody, they come out with a new one every year. 
and then it tells you your Bible reading plan, and you can check it off, you can check off your weeks, you can put it on your fridge. I just want to get something. One of our core values is we believe in the bench press. We're called Press Church. We believe in the bench press. We believe in the scripture that says we need to work out our own salvation, and so I want to get these into your hands to help you work out your own salvation. If you want to do this, please pick it up, check it out, and read it, um, and it's just one of the gifts that, that I want to give y'all as we step into this new year. Um, were you blessed today? Amen. Hopefully, hopefully we've planted some seeds inside of you to get you excited about reading the Bible again. That it's not just some dead book, but there's life, there's power, there's, there's things in it that can help us and change us. And so we have the handouts back there. Uh, Alberto will give those to you. And uh, throughout the next couple of weeks, I'm going to keep showing you some books, some concordances, some dictionaries, some different things that you can pick up yourselves uh, to help you on your journey to reading the Bible. Do you know him? Do you know him as the Word of God? Now you do. Now you do. Let's stand up today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Father, we love your word. Ultimately, when we say we love your word, we love you, Jesus. The word of God. You were there at the beginning. You were there in flesh. And you're there at the end on that white horse. And you're still faithful. You're still true. You're still the King of kings. You're still the Lord of lords. You've still got crowns going. Father, we just ask you to help us. As we step out of 2019, as we step into 2020, that we get a new hunger for your word. Father, we want to be able to distinguish between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I don't want to wander anymore. I don't want to go by the wayside anymore. I don't want to fall into the error of my own opinion of who I think a Christian should be. I want to be who Christ tells me to be. I want to help tell people about who Jesus is. I want to point people to the Word, Father. Help us. Help us. Holy Spirit, it says you're our teacher. It says you're our comforter. Father, help us distinguish between the spirit of error that is inside and outside of the church, that is inside social media, that is inside the news media, that is inside throughout, pulmonating throughout the world, Father. Help us understand and differentiate between the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. Father, help this church be a spirit be a, a conduit of the spirit of truth in this church, in this community, in this area, Father. Father, bless your people. I know there are people that are out today who aren't feeling well, and we use the word of God and say, by Jesus' stripes, wherever they're at, they are already healed. Father, we thank you for people that are traveling. We pray Psalm 91 protection over them. No evil shall befall them, that they will travel, Father, that your angels will protect them. As they go, Father, I ask you to be with these people today. I ask you to help them, bless them, use us to go out and be the shining light into the community. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Right before y'all go, I just want to tell y'all this one last thing. I do this every year in my own personal life, and I talked about it last year. I want you to be praying as you go into 2020. Every year for the last five or six years, I, I spend time with God and I ask Him for a word or a scripture or something that will help me as I step into the new year. And God has been faithful in giving me a word and giving me a scripture, and it's usually just one word. And then He'll bring a scripture in to help collaborate with that word. And then I stand on that scripture through the whole year. As I see God doing things, my word last year 
was faith or audacious faith. At first, I just heard him say faith. I said, yeah, I could do that. And he said, no, I want you to have audacious faith. And the definition of audacious is just completely out of your control. And I thought, oh, that means some, some crazy things are coming in 2019 that I've got to believe him for. 2019, we really started taking over the church and figuring out who I am as a head pastor. And uh, That's quite nauseating, to be honest, uh, as, you, as you try and figure out all the things of being a pastor and preaching and doing all those things, that I needed God to help me. We bought a house. I've never bought a house before. We had some issues with the house, but God blessed us with it. My mother-in-law, Miss Karen, she got diagnosed with cancer, and within less than a month, she got healed from it. Praise God. That God told us to have a baby. That we had some issues in the first pregnancy that kind of hindered us from wanting to have a second child. Maddie had an emergency C-section and just some things went wrong. And, and if we're being honest, there were some areas that we were lacking in faith on having that baby. And we came into knowing that we were supposed to have another baby in 2019. And I said, okay, God, you're going to have to do some miracles. And Maddie started listing out again. She wanted to have a natural childbirth. She wanted this. She wanted that. She wanted that. And God answered every prayer. She wasn't supposed to have a natural baby as the second one. She had a natural baby. Audacious faith that God... So I'm not telling you something, just some pie-in-the-sky thing of like, hey, go do this. I'm telling you, this is what I do every year, and I believe God's given me a word for 2020. I'm still praying about it, still working through it to write it down and see what it is. But as you go through this next week, as you go into January, start talking to God. God, what's my word for 2020? What's my scripture for 2020? That way it'll help you. So when you're in May, when you're in June, when you're in November, when you're in December, and you're freaking out, you can go back and say, God already prepared me. God already told me this scripture. God already gave me this word to help me through whatever 2020 is coming. So I just want to encourage you in that. Do that. Step out in faith and watch God do something awesome. Amen. Happy New Year. We love y'all. We'll see y'all in 2020. Take care. God bless. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.